irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. This is episode 167. And if you don't know, I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. And I want to thank you for listening in to this podcast for the last three and a half years for subscribing to it. I'm going to ask you to rate my podcast so I can get on the iTunes top 200 podcast. That is a goal of mine and it's done by your rating. So I would love for you to go do that now. All Things Therapy on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you can find podcasts. I am certified in EMDR as a Reiki Level 2 practitioner and as a certified thought coach through the Institute for Transformational Thinking. I do phone, Skype, and FaceTime sessions with you wherever you live in the world, as well as in-person sessions at my New Orleans office location and my Los Angeles office location. Find me through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. And I ask you to subscribe to me on social media. I am on Facebook and Instagram at NOLA Therapy and on Twitter. So I am building my social media presence because in the fall of 2020, I have a self-help book coming out titled The Psychoastrology of Chiron healing our core wounds through empathy and self-forgiveness. And this book will help you identify why it is you might gravitate, you might have an orbit around certain recurring issues, problems, and themes in your life. This dynamic was first coined as the repetition compulsion by Freud back in the early 1900s. An object relationist have addressed it. Other schools of psychological thought have addressed it. And I have merged the psychology of our core wounds with the astrology of our core wounds and have trademarked the word psychoastrology. And I'm really excited to launch that to you. So at NOLA Therapy, there's a link to join my email list. So at the appropriate time, I will be able to get you the information to pre-order my book. And besides that, reach out. Lisa at NOLA therapy if you have guests you'd like me to interview and topics you would like me to cover okay my guest today it is her second time on my podcast and i am really delighted that in just a few moments we'll be back with antoinette kuritz she has over 25 years in the literary business she is a book developer a literary publicist she's a guru in her field and the founder of the La Jolla Writers Conference in its 19th year. And let me tell you that Writers Digest has called this conference one of the top 84 in the country, and that is out of over 1,200 literary conferences that you can attend in the U.S. that Antoinette's La Jolla's Writers Conference coming up October 25th to 27th, 2019. We're going to talk about that. It's at the Hyatt Regency in La Jolla. 
Antoinette, before she was ever in this literary business, was a school teacher until an injury back in 1991 led her into a bookstore. And here we are with all the depth and richness that she offers. Today, we're going to be talking about the cheers and jeers of writing with some personal stories she's going to share. So I'm looking forward to this humorous and informative show with you, Antoinette. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it, too. We've got some fun things to talk about. Yeah. Where where is it that you would like to start? Do you talk about fun things? Sense of humor is coming up for me. How is that important in writing? Even having well, a sense of humor? first of all, a lot of writers write about serious subjects. So they've got to have a sense of humor. But more importantly, writers face a lot of rejection. And you've got to have a sense of humor to carry you through that rejection. Some writers um, that I know of have had upwards of 85 to 100 rejections before they got published. And Chicken Soup for the Soul. We all know about Chicken Soup for the Soul, right? Well, that series was rejected, I believe, at least 85 times before they found a publisher. And they had to become creative in order to get those first books published. You think about it, um, you've got to have a sense of humor and perseverance. You've got to believe in yourself and you've got to be willing to go the distance if you want to be a successful writer. There are very few writers who hit it out of the park with their first book. You know, I wish I would have had this conversation with you several months ago when my agent was pitching my book. I had about 17, 18, 20 rejections and um, and I knew oh, that's I knew nothing. Uh, Right. But I knew this. She was getting frustrated. Like, I felt like, oh, my gosh, what do I do next? I didn't really want to self-publish, but I really believed in myself, like you're saying. And I believed in this message that I have written and a publisher showed up and I feel like they're they're great for me. And um, so just when that happens. So I think what you're saying is important because I I cried a lot. (laughs) I was like in tears. (laughs) I didn't have much humor about this. (laughs) Yeah, But you're in good. I mean, you're in such good company. There are so many books that ended up that that hit the New York Times list that ended up starting out self-published because the writers couldn't find a publisher. When you think about it, a book goes to an agent and many of the agencies now, and you know, it's not an agent who has a love of books who's sitting there in their office anymore, just waiting for the great manuscript to come in who spends every day pouring through manuscripts. Usually in an, in an agency now, there's readers, and those readers are fresh out of college, and you know they're 20-somethings who are reading that manuscript that you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into, and if they like it, it goes on to the agent to look at, and if they don't, it goes into the slush pile, mm. and you get a rejection letter. So sometimes the agents, depending on the agency you send your book to, don't even ever see your manuscript wow. when you get that, that rejection letter. Okay. Okay, so the industry's changed. You and I were just speaking of that before coming live. Yeah, it's changed dramatically, absolutely dramatically. I love the fact that it's been democratized by self-publishing. You yeah. know, it used to be used to be if I went to put an author on the air, people would ask me, is, it, is, is that author self-published? And I would get more turndowns than not if an author was self-published. Sometimes I wouldn't even mention somebody was an author. I would get them on the air because of a particular topic, And then I would send the book Um, because if it was a self-published book, there was a a real bias against it. Now nobody cares. Nobody cares. Were I advising you, I would have sat with you before you you got your book deal. I would have sat with you and crunched the numbers and shown you that because you have 
and a built-in audience, it might have been, you probably would have made more money on your book had you self-published. Okay. Far you know, I've had, I've had friends self-publish and they love it. They're so happy for myself. I, I've done so much on my own. I really wanted the the support of a publisher that was important to me for this book. I don't know that it will be for my next one, but I know we'll, we'll I, talk I, before your next look, one. Thank you. I so appreciate that Antoinette. Yeah. So, 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 okay. So I want to hear some of these stories. You've worked with some great writers. Can you tell us some, some stories, please? Well, I want to start with Joe Wamba. Okay. Uh, your younger listeners probably won't know who Joe Wamba is, but he's he's the father of the police procedural. So when you when you see any of the Law and Order shows on yeah. TV, they grew out of the shows that Joe Wamba did back in the seventies and the sixties and the you know way back when. And um, he was a cop, an LA cop, and he drew on his experiences in his writing. And I think the Onion Fields was, which is a a cult classic was um, probably his most famous movie. And he bought the rights to that movie. He had sold that to the, to the studios, and he mortgaged everything he owned and bought it back because he felt that the studios weren't going to do a good job with it. And he bought okay. it back, and he hired two, two young actors, Ted Danson and James <laughs> Woods, to play the leads. And I don't know how old your audience is or how young your, our, our, our audience out there is. So I will not tell this whole story. But, um, you know, Joe had been a client of mine. So I think it was the second La Jolla Writers Conference. I asked him if he would keynote. And he said, um, well, do you want me to come and talk about being a cop? And I said, no, I want, I want you to come and talk about writing. And he said, um, well, who wants to hear me talk about writing? And I said, you're Joe freaking Wamba. Anybody with a pen in their hand wants to hear you talk about writing. And so he came and he was shy. I had to, I actually had to interview him because he was so shy, which a lot of writers are. Mm -hmm. They're very shy people. And the other thing is, is many of them, many of your most successful writers do not have huge egos. Mm. So he keynoted and then fast forward, I asked him, gosh, it had to be, eight or 10 years later, I asked him to do it again. And he said, yes. And he, and he came and he was going to speak. And by that time I knew that if you got one drink in Joe, he would relax <laughs> and he could be very, very funny because I had been out to dinner with him by then. And I knew that he became quite the, the, the storyteller yeah. once he had a drink in him as most shy people are. Okay. So we're, we're at the Friday night reception before the Friday night keynote, and Joe is there. And Dale Brown, who is a mega New York Times bestselling author, he came to fame when um, President Reagan was photographed carrying his first book, and then everybody in the country went and bought mm. it. And Dale has now had 20-some-odd New York Times bestselling books. So he shows up out of nowhere um, he, he hadn't been on the, on the schedule, but he showed up and he walked into the reception and he said, I flew down to see if I could do anything to help out at the conference, which was wow. serendipitous because that night our, our late night, um, red eye teacher got the flu and Dale sat in for that. But anyway, I said to Dale, um, would you mind, I gave him some money. I said, would you mind buying a drink for Joe Wamba? Now, you have to understand, at this time, Dale probably had 20 New York Times bestselling books. Yeah. He was huge. And um, he gets all flustered. 
Joe Wamba's in the room? You want me to buy a drink for Joe Wamba? So he goes over and he buys a drink for Joe. And, um, and I tell that story because these authors are in awe of each other. Wow. And each other's talent. Which is really cool. So he gets Joe a drink. Joe relaxes. And Joe comes out. And he tells a story about the making of uh, the onion fields and how he was doing it on an absolute financial shoestring. And this young, at the time, very young um, um, actor, Jim Woods, asks for a closed set for a nude scene, which means they've got to empty out the set. It's lots of extra time, lots of extra money to do it this way. But Joe said, okay, figuring maybe, maybe Jim was shy, maybe he didn't want to be naked in front of anyone. So the scene is shot with just, I guess, the director and the cameraman and the actors in the, in the, um, on the set. And then Jim Woods comes out, comes walking out of the set, naked as the day he was born. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's line was, you know, all those, and this broke the entire room up. Everybody was hysterical. Joe said, you know, all those stories you hear about Jim Woods and he opens up his hands to about two feet wide and he goes, they're true. <laughs> and the entire room broke up. Well, the only reason Jim wanted the Jim Woods wanted the, the room empty was because he felt he could concentrate better and he had no problem walking out naked after the fact. But you hear these, these intimate stories about struggles. You know, Joe put all the money in the world he had on the line because he didn't want somebody ruining his book. Yeah. And um, and you've got this guy who's terribly, terribly um, shy, but he's willing to come and teach when asked. And um, we've all heard of Rambo and yes. First Blood, right? Well, yeah. David Morrell is is the creator of Rambo, and um, again, he's considered the grandfather of the genre of of in which First Blood is written. And one could say that with the Rambo franchise he became very, very successful. He keynoted at the Writers' Conference the same year as Stephen J. Cannell. Stephen J. Cannell is not just a New York Times bestselling author, but he's got 40-some-odd successful TV shows, everything from Adam 12 to 21 Jump Street to the Rockford Files to the Commission, and on and on and on, 40-some-odd enormously successful TV series to his name. And seeing the two of them act like fanboys when they met each other mm. was akin to the meeting of Bill Brown and Joe Wamba. I mean, the, the two men had shared heartbreak. Each had lost a son and success. And I got to watch this, this friendship form. And um, after authors do their Friday night keynotes, we have a faculty dinner so that the faculty can meet each other. But people often rush up to the, um, the keynote and want to talk to them. So right. we plan for about 30 minutes for that, and then I usually rescue them. When yes. I went to rescue Stephen J. Cannell, and understand, I mean, by Hollywood standards even, he was enormously successful. He had these 40-some-odd TV shows. He had 12, at the time, I think 12 New York Times bestselling books. I, I go up to him, and I, I try to extricate him reminding the group that, you know, he too needed to have dinner. And yeah. Stephen turns around to me and he says, put a plate aside for me. This is what I'm here for, to answer questions from all these writers. And he spent another two and a half hours just sitting there answering questions and then went on to teach that weekend. That's amazing. Um, I find that writers, successful writers, the majority of them 
are incredibly generous. Mm. They want to give back to the writing community. They want to nurture aspiring authors. They Mm. really put it out there. I've had New York Times best-selling writers teach at the La Jolla Writers Conference who went on to mentor uh, someone they met at the conference for a year. Beautiful. You know, you know, you and know, I, I, I'm, I'm monologuing, which I tell my clients not to do. No, it's it's OK, because it's so interesting and reminding me that um, for myself in, in writing my book the last three and a half years, that Catherine Woodward Thomas, the New York Times bestselling author of Conscious Uncoupling and Calling in the One has become a mentor and friend and really helped me with my writing. She endorsed my book and just has been a wonderful just mentor and genius in my life to ask me to write, write something, send it to her, and then she'll send it back to me, you know, dear one, you know, this is what it could sound like. And just helping, mentoring me to like really believe in what I'm saying and believe in myself mm-hmm. and really state it strongly. So I'm I'm so grateful to her. And also her friend, Marianne Williamson, who has been just so encouraging for me to even start this podcast. Marianne, I emailed her, if I started a podcast, would you be my guest? I was so nervous about it. And she wrote back and said, Lisa, I would love to be on your podcast. And she was, and released Tears to Triumph, her 12th book and seventh New York Times bestseller. And, you know, these two women have just really helped me as a younger person, a younger writer, and podcaster to just believe and it just helped it made all the difference for me to trust myself to to do what i'm doing so it was you get exactly what i mean about these people. yeah, they, yeah. they're amazing so you know the la jolla writers conference which by the way for you guys out there listening is l-a-j-o-l-l-a where you know i'm in san diego california and the, the la jolla is a j um but everybody who comes to the conference flies themselves in and donates their time. This isn't an income stream for anyone. It's a pay it forward conference. That's amazing. And so, and so they fly themselves in. The only thing we provide for them is a few meals and a hotel room. And they spend all weekend sharing their expertise with aspiring authors. And, um, and if you look at the site and look at the key line of keynotes we've had, it's a, an amazing list of people. It is. Um, um, I've got a story about Tess Gerritsen, who is okay. the creator of the Rizzoli and Isles characters um, on which the, the TV series was based, if you want me to, want me to yeah. do that one. Yeah. Okay, so Tess, um, I was introduced to Tess when I read Harvest, her first book in the 1990s. I mean, I wasn't introduced to her, but that's how I got to know who Tess Gerritsen was. I loved the book. It was a terrifying but extremely well-written medical thriller. Um, that brought some real talent into the world of commercial fiction. And later, Tess's husband would tell us that while Tess writes, she lives with her characters, figuratively, but she lives with them. And they they become that real to her. And he laughingly says there was one he actually had to evict from the house. Um, But that said, uh, what I didn't learn about Tess until she keynoted was that um, she had been a romance writer first. And what happened was she was an emergency room doc and she would carry a romance novel with her to read, to decompress with when she had a break. So when she went on maternity leave, she sat, she sat down and decided, well, I could write one of these and wrote one and submitted it and it was picked up and she became a successful romance writer. So fast forward a few years and she writes Harvest 
and she turns it into her agent to look at. And her agent says, oh, my dear, if only you were a doctor, because this is a medical thriller. She said, if only you were a doctor, I could sell this book. And Tess said, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm a doctor. And wow. so the moral of that story is that when you look for an agent, let know what your expertise is and let them know what your expertise is. Because okay. until you tell them, they don't know. And you might be an expert in more things than you think. You know, it's such a mysterious process in a way, this whole literary world and, and being a first-time author trying to educate myself. It was overwhelming to even go to Google. And I feel like some of our listeners might be wondering, what do I what do? I, do? I You know, c can you offer some tips for someone that, because I know one of the statistics that you've shared with me is that I think it's, is it 80% of people that feel like they have a book in them? Is that the accurate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, and 80, it, it was, it's over 80%. And that was a survey by the Jenkins Group that was published in the New York Times in, nine, in uh, 2001 or 2002. And those numbers, I believe, have gone up since then. The number even of people just, who think they have a book in them. Okay, and and even, by the number of... Go ahead. I'm Go sorry. On. No, you first. You first. Well, by the number of ISBNs now um, now purchased every year, that's the identification numbers that go on the back of a book. Yeah. You might think that we have gone from when I was first in the book business about seventy five thousand per year. Now you're up to over a million a year. Oh my gosh, Antoinette. Uh, yeah, it's it's astronomical the number of books that are coming out. So the democratization has been great. Um, but by the same token, there's a lot more competition. So if you are going to become a writer, the yes. first thing you do is you sit down and you write. Um, the difference between a writer and an aspiring writer is that a writer writes. And the second thing you do is you write every day. You set a schedule for writing. I knew a writer when I was first in this business who would, she had kids and a husband and a job and she would get up and work from four to seven every morning. And then she would wake up her kids and her husband and get everybody ready and out the door and get herself out the door. But from four to seven every morning without fail, she wrote and she ended up with five published books. Wow. All wow. novels. And um, so the first thing you do is you write. The second thing you do is, is, is you, um, you don't let people guilt you about writing. You know, you have family, you have friends, and what are you doing? And, 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 you know, we could be spending time together. This is your time. You own it. You don't have to be selfish. You know, you set aside time for your family and friends, but own your writing time. People write on the way to and from work on the train. They write on their lunch hour. They do what my friend did and get, get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to write. I know one writer who gave up TV, and he wrote for two and a half hours every night after work. Instead of watching TV, he wrote, my husband writes. And, mm -hmm. um, and my caveat is, you know, I, I want your company. We're empty nesters now. I want to be in the room with you. So yes. when I want to watch um, something on, on TV, I use my Kindle instead and put on my headphones. So he's not bothered and he can sit there and he can write. That's wonderful. And we're in the same room. It's, you know, we still have that camaraderie, but he's doing his thing. I'm doing mine. So... And make a, make a place to write. Whether you have, you know, you know you're going to be at a certain kind of seat on the train or you know that you're going to sit at the kitchen table 
I had a, a friend who commandeered the pantry in his house, and he used to work as a um, resort manager, so he grabbed a Do Not Disturb sign, and he put a desk and a light and a computer in the pantry, and he wrote in the pantry for years and years and years. And now he has a big house and an office in his big house that overlooks the pool. Um, but for years, he wrote in a windowless pantry, and when he put a Do Not Disturb sign on the door, everybody knew he was in there writing. Mm -hmm. So you make... You make the time to write, and you have to um, you have to understand editing. Um, so many people don't understand not only the need to edit. People will write a manuscript and put it up on Amazon and think they have a book out there. Mm. Mm -hmm. You need your book edited, and you need to know the different kinds of editors. There's a content editor, and that's the person who looks for inconsistencies, rep repetitions. Does the book flow? Does the story make sense? Or does your advice make sense? They look at the content of the book and they, they'll comment on that. Then there's the line editor. The line editor catches some grammar and punctuation and spacing and reads for consistency in capitalization or spacing. Let's say you're doing a cookbook. Are you making all the recipes look the same? A line editor is very good at that kind of thing. And then there's the final copy editor. And all that copy editor is looking at is punctuation, spelling, and spacing. That's it. You know, do you have one space after a period and then two spaces after a period? You've got to be yes. consistent throughout. But, but do editors usually... Do they usually do all three? Because I had one content editor and then I had another woman who did the line and copy editing and that was pretty costly. Is it possible to find someone that does all of that in your experience? It's very hard. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I work with a client, I do, any client I work with, I do a content edit. Um, I'm really good at that. But by the time, okay. and I do, while I'm doing the content edit, I'll mark grammar and punctuation throughout the whole thing. But I'm really reading for content and I don't put myself out there as a line editor. Um, so I, they, they don't have to pay a separate content editor, but they do have to go and get a line editor who can be a copy editor. But once somebody's read that manuscript for the second time, they're going to miss things. They're okay. just going to miss things. So really, um, a content edit and then a line edit. If you have a good line editor, you don't need a copy editor. Okay. And okay. what it, the rule of thumb is that a good line editor is going to charge you between 30 and $35 an hour and do somewhere between 8 and 10 pages an hour. Okay, that's so good to know. Yeah, that's the other thing. Know what things should cost. Yeah. If you're self-publishing, you can get a, a great cover for, from between $750 to $1,500. You shouldn't be paying $5,000 for a cover. And yet there are people out there who are charging $5,000 mm. for a cover. Okay. You shouldn't be paying more than I just said for a good line edit. Um, you know, people will sign up with a, 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 somebody to work with to help them write their book. And by the time they're done, not help them, but to kind of coach them along in their book. And by the time they're done, they'll spend $10,000 on that. Yeah. Write the book and then work with an editor. Okay. You're going to save $7,000 doing That's that. That's so at least. important. 
Yeah, and and interior pages, unless you're doing something with a lot of graphs and a lot of um, and a, or a cookbook, something really that takes a lot more work. Unless you're doing something like that, if you're, it should be no more than four dollars a page to design the interior of a book. Okay. And if you're writing a series, the 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 subsequent books, because you've already branded yourself and chosen the interior. For the first book, the subsequent book should cost you less for cover and interior. Okay, this is um, so good. Yeah, there are there are things you need to know. Um, let's see what else. Learn about the business. Understanding the business of writing can keep you from signing a contract that will cost you. You want some examples of that? Yeah. Okay, for instance, um, up until... Oh God, gosh, up through the early 2000s, all the contracts that were written by major publishers said that when your book was out of print for two years, you got the rights to your book back, which makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Except back in 2001, I was saying to people, and this is why I started the La Jolla Writers Conference, this one thing. Back in 2001, I was saying to people, don't sign that in a contract. Make them change it to when your book goes below a certain level of sales, you get your rights back. Because mm. I saw that self-publishing, print-on-demand, was. I saw that print-on-demand was going wow. to become far less costly. And it occurred to me that publishing houses would be able to put your book up on print-on-demand and say to you, your book hasn't gone out of print. And Got they it. do nothing yeah. to promote it. But they for thirty nine dollars they put it up on on Amazon and your book never goes out of print. Wow! And so uh, I so you saw that coming. To me, yeah, I saw it coming. And when I realized that was going on, I realized people really needed to understand how the business was evolving, and that's what made me start the conference. But that's just one way. Here's another way. Um, <clears throat> if you do, almost every author has to do their own PR and marketing after that book comes out. The publishing house does a little bit. If you're lucky, they'll send out an email blast about your book to people who have radio shows and podcasts and TV shows. And if they get a bite, they'll send somebody a book. But that's pretty much what they do. That's pretty much their effort. And they do that about six weeks, and they send out to the trade reviewers about six weeks before your book comes out. The trade reviewers are the reviewers that librarians and bookstores read so that they will carry your book. It's like Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and, and, okay. and the New York Times and, and the Boston Globe and publications like that. There's about 12 of them. And what are and they called so, again? What? What are they called again, Antoinette? They're called trade reviewers. Okay. And these okay. are the publications that are read by librarians and the buyers in the bookstores who decide what books will be carried. And so you they'll send to them. Other than that, they don't usually do much more. So you're going to have to do your own PR and marketing. And you're going to have to understand that. And very often when you're doing PR and marketing, you've got to send out books. Well, that yes. book may have cost the publisher $1.50 to print. But they're going to charge you 60, 60% of the cover price for you to buy the books to send out to do mm -hmm. the PR and marketing that's going to make them more money. Mm -hmm. And so it, on a $20 book, you're going to pay $12 for that book. How many books are you going to be willing to send out at $12 a pop? Right, 
Right. You negotiate in, you can say in advance, here's my PR and marketing plan. Here's what I plan to do. I need 250 books for this. I'd like you to give me half for free and I'd like to buy the rest at cost. And we did this, we did this with a client who wanted to make it to the New York Times bestseller list. He never had. And he was a finance guru. Okay. And um, he had already been published. So I went to his publisher with a um, um, marketing plan, PR and marketing plan. And I said, this is what I need. I'm going to do. I need 2,000 books. Okay. And I said to them, I want 1,000 for free. And I, he's paying me. He's paying me a lot of money to do this work. You're going to benefit from it. And I showed them the cost analysis. I said, mm-hmm. so I want 1,000 for free and I want 1,000 at cost. So they looked at me and they said, well, at cost, the book would be $4.65 a copy. Now, they were selling this book for $27.95. Okay. And I, I smiled and I acted really ditzy and I said to them, $4.95 a book? That's what you're paying to print it? Oh, my goodness. Let me turn you on to my printer. He can <laughs> print this book for $2 a copy. Amazing. And guess what? We what? got the other 1,000 books for $2 a copy. That's great. So you have to know the business. You do have and, to know. And you have to understand that your agent has an agenda. Now, you love your agent, right? I did, yes. Now I'm doing it. I, I'm just working with the publisher myself without, without her. Okay. Agents have an agenda. They want to sell books and get the 15% of the advance and 15% forever of your royalties. They're betting on the come. Now they care about you or they wouldn't take on your book, but they know where their bread is buttered. Their bread is buttered with the publisher. They don't want to make the publisher angry. They don't want to annoy the publisher. So they're not going to push too hard for these things. So you have to know what to push for. Mm-hmm. They don't want to alienate the publisher. You have to know what to push for, what to ask for. You know, the Authors Guild was a wonderful resource to me in negotiating my contract. The Authors mm-hmm. Guild out of New York City, they mm-hmm. uh, they were just really wonderful and helpful in negotiating. But if you didn't know about them, which many writers don't, right. what would you do? That's why I'm mentioning it. So anyone out there, the Writers Guild is a wonderful, the Authors Guild, I mean, Authors Guild out of New York City yep. is a wonderful resource for authors. I believe they also put on classes, don't they? They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I have a friend who's, um, I think, the best literary attorney in New York, Lloyd Jassen, who I believe is involved with them. Oh, wow. He's, yeah, he's, he's very, very good. Um, so learn about the business would be one of my tips. You know, put your bottom in the chair and write, understand editing, learn about the business, learn about platform building. These days, agents and editors want to know what the writer's platform is. Mm-hmm. Used to be, if an editor loved your book, you know, your manuscript went to an agent, the agent loved the book, she had or he had connections with editors, they would talk to the editors. If the editor loved your book, it was a done deal. Your book got bought. These days, if the editor loves your book, then they've got to go and convince the sales team and the marketing team yes, yes. that your book is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And part of that is what's the author's platform. 
Now, you have a platform. You have a radio show, right? Yes. Yes. Um, most writers don't have a platform. Most writers don't understand social media. They don't blog. They don't understand how to blog or how to slipstream on other blogs. And you've got to learn all of that if you're going to be successful because that's a huge part of marketing these days, an absolutely huge part of marketing. And I've seen authors who will spend 20 hours a week on social media and other writers who don't want to understand it, don't want to have anything to do with it, and really learn about it, spend about 15 minutes a day on it, and build your platform. And yes. start before you even begin looking for an agent or before you publish your book. I love that. And, and with that in mind, know what a good author website is like. And be ready to invest in the business of writing. Writing is a business. So long, am I talking too much? No, I love this. I'm even taking notes. <laughs> oh, no, please keep going. All right. Well, so long as all you're doing is writing books for your family and friends, let's say like you're doing what I'm doing and putting together all your recipes into a binder for your kids and, and your grandkids, you're just a writer. But the minute you want anybody else to buy into that book, whether it's an agent, whether it's an editor at the publishing house, whether it's the buyer for the bookstores or the libraries, or whether it's the public, you're a business. And so you've got to be able to put on your business hat and understand what it takes to be in business. And it takes social media. It takes regular media. It takes having a website. Some of these things cost nothing. Some of these things like a website cost something mm -hmm. you need. You wouldn't, you wouldn't start a business, you wouldn't start a coffee cart without a business plan. If you're going to be a writer, have a business plan and know what it's going to cost to access success. And one of those things you have to pay for is a website. We um, routinely recommend a great web designer who charges about sixteen to 1800 for a very professionally done website. His websites are absolutely beautiful. And I've seen people blow $5,000 on a website. And then I've seen other people put up their own websites and, and you could see that they put up their own website. Yes. You need a professionally done website that does everything an author website needs, needs to have on it. Yes. And you need to learn what that is. And you need to have a web designer you can really work with and you need to know you need to know what verbiage you want on that website and how to, how to create calls to action on that website. Mm. Um, trying to think of anything else you need to know. Well, understand that writing is not the field of dreams. Just because you wrote it doesn't necessarily mean they'll buy it. You need to be prepared to do what is necessary along with platform building, networking, peer and marketing to create the demand for your book. And I so hope that was helpful. It was, Antoinette. And at your La Jolla's Writers Conference, because I know this is a conference, I meant to say this in the introduction, for, for individuals who are aspiring to be authors, writers, and already established ones. So if you haven't written a book, this is still a great place for you to learn, correct? That, that's what my research we have, we have authors of all, at, at all levels. And we have, we have people who have yet to put a word on the paper. And we have New York Times bestselling authors who sit on, in on classes. 
Yeah, I so, think that's important to let our listeners know today, because since your conference is coming up at the end of October, that this could be a place for someone listening to come to and, and gain all the knowledge in more depth and detail that what you're presenting right now on our show and that I just lived through in my own life experience. It would have been, I think, helpful to get the information beforehand instead of having to figure it out like I did on my own. I, I know it will save a listener time and money to, to get the Tons information. Tons of time and money. Someone like it's, and it's a very inexpensive conference. That's wonderful. Um, it, it's, compared to most conferences out there, it's very inexpensive because we don't look to make any money on it. Even our, even our faculty, nobody gets paid. Everybody, everybody donates their time. It's, uh, so this it's is, a, go on. And then I'll ask you the question. No, it's, about it. it's a good conference. It's just a, a good conference. So to, to lead into the last part of our show, this is your 19th year putting on this conference. Mm -hmm. And I'm sensing yep. it's from a place of love and generosity that you have been offering this every year and have brought people together, New York Times bestsellers and all levels of writers and authors. So this to me sounds like a real passion project of yours. Is that is that Oh, true? it is. And we have agents, editors, publishers. Wow. We do something called the seven minute pitch. Now, at most conferences, I saw that on your website. Yeah. Okay. It's very different. At most conferences, the agents sit on a panel and you get in line and you walk up, you wait in line, you wait your turn, and you get yeah. to talk to an agent for a minute and try to hand them your manuscript to your book. Instead of that, what we do is the seven-minute pitch. The agents sit on a panel in a closed room. You come in one person at a time. You sign up for this in advance. There's no extra fee for it. You come in, you spend a minute and a half telling us about your project, who you are, what your platform is, why you're the person to do that project. And then the panel spends five minutes giving you feedback. And I have seen times where people walked out without a card, but I've also seen times where people walked out with agents vying for them. You know, no, send me your, send me your page at first. And, and they're laughingly competing for a particular person. And so you're up close and personal. And the other thing we do is all of our agents and publishers do read and critique groups. It's an hour and a half workshop. You go in, you get to read two or three pages of your work in front of them. So wow. you're up close and personal with these people. And again, very often people will say, you know, give me your card. I mean, give me your manuscript. So it's a, it's what I wanted to do when I created this was to give unparalleled access to faculty members. And the reason I always bring in New York Best Times bestselling authors is because when you meet someone at a conference, later on, if you go to them for a blurb, you're much more likely to get mm. that blurb, that endorsement yes. of your book. So mm -hmm. it's a, um, it's a really good conference. And I say that without hubris because it's all the faculty. The faculty is amazing. Yeah. Okay. Before my next book, I'm coming to your conference. <laughs> October 25th, come on down. You know, you'll learn so much about marketing at the conference. And I even do media training classes at the conference because a writer should not get out there. You should not do media without media training. That's a great Absolutely yes, not. Yes. yes to that. The, yeah, the only reason to do media is to get people to follow your call of action, which is go to your website where you get other chances to sell them your book. Um, if you can't do that, if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to translate on media, then you shouldn't do it. 
So get media training. That's the other investment. Invest in media training, invest in, in a good website, and maybe invest in someone to give you some guidance along the way. If you can't afford to, you know, people pay me to do everything and people yeah. pay me just to give them guidance. Get okay. someone to at least give you some guidance along the way. Someone good. Yes, wonderful. How do you want to wrap things up with us, Antoinette? Um, I, I, I want to say that I really look forward to somebody in our audience out there who's, who's listening and is an aspiring writer. I look forward to seeing your book. I look forward mm. to reading your book. No matter how many people tell you, um, no matter how many rejections you get, no matter what you hear from your writer's group, and yes, join a writer's group because the um, critiques you get are valuable, but even more valuable is the fact that it compels you to have a certain number of pages done every week or every two weeks, so join a good writer's group. Go to a good conference and, and put the fingers to the keyboard, the pen to the paper, and write. Yes, and I want to give our listeners, again, your websites. The The first one is LaJoyaWritersConference.com, and it's spelled L-A-J-O-L-L-A. When I first went to San Diego, Antoinette, I didn't know it was La Jolla. I was calling it La Jolla. I did it my first three years. Okay, Okay, that's so good to know. So it's spelled like LaJollaWritersConference.com, but it's La Jolla writersconference.com. And I also want to really give a word of praise to your company, strategiespr.com with your husband, Richard. Richard's been an amazing source of fantastic authors and guests for my show. And I can tell listeners the quality of the work and representation is very high and consistent. And I just love the company, Strategies PR. Thank you so much. You represent authors. Like I've had some of my most like fun to talk to guests and knowledgeable guests from from your company strategiespr.com you're welcome thank you you're welcome thank you so much well i look forward to meeting you i yeah and- i look forward to meeting you too and do come out to the conference okay i'm gonna i'm not sure about this year but i i it's a commitment to myself i will be at your conference within the next couple of years. And I'm going to check out this year and see if I can make that happen. So thank you. If you can make it happen, let me know and call me before you, before you register. And, um, you know, you need as, as savvy as you are, there are things you could afford to learn about promoting your new book because yes. you're going to have to promote it yourself. Okay. That and, is drawing me in. Yeah. And it will help you enormously. Thank you, Antoinette. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I look forward to doing this again. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. That concludes my show today with book developer, literary publicist, and founder of the La Jolla Writers Conference, Antoinette Kuritz. Again, find her at LaJollaWritersConference.com. That conference is coming up October 25th, 2019. I am going to look into being there. And StrategiesPR.com. They represent authors. Thank you for listening. I am sending and wishing everyone a wonderful weekend and week. All of my love. Bye-bye. 
Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of all things therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy. Yourself and friends find a purpose in life, then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Ty here as she initiates a one on interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts, and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression. And in all, make the world a better place for everyone. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir on 